I'm sure far and away it has been the greatest problem I ever had. Now that I think about it, I can't think of a frustration I had that could not be traced finally back to the door of problems with my identity. I don't know why. Oh, I thought perhaps it was uh, being born in the country. And I was way back in the country. And uh, my inferiority complex was no careless feeling. It was a documented fact. <laughs> I uh, was a part of a little country school. That would have been all right a hundred years ago, but not in 1950s. 40s. <laughs> we didn't have 12 grades. We had 11. I skipped one when they added a 12. That was a, a little bit of encouragement to esteem. And uh, I was valedictorian. There were six others. <laughs> And I was the star on the basketball team. But our best season, we won three and lost 27. <laughs> and somehow I got it into my thick skull that when I left those surroundings, I would live in a world of giants. And in my mind it was so. And through the years, that remained. I got saved when I was ten. That helped. <laughs> but the trouble was that I ran into others that got saved a whole lot later and had a better story. <laughs> and I regretted... I regretted that I didn't wait to get some kind of degree from San Quentin or Alcatraz and really have a story. And uh, as a matter of fact, a part of the problem of esteem was that folks who knew me thought I was a good boy. And of course, when I tried to tell them what a louse I was at nine and a half, they'd just say, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're just putting me on, you know. How, how bad can you get at nine and a half? And I thought if I had if I'd gone to prison, if I had kicked the dope habit, if I and I could tell about it, at least it would be a catharsis, and folks would know me to be as bad as I was. That's a sort of a twisted sort of thinking, don't you think? And yet the fact is, I'm not talking to anybody here tonight who didn't have, and uh, I'm talking to very few who don't have, some haunting hangovers that regard who you really are. A young lady showed up... <clears throat> 
few months ago in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a few clothes, if any, on her back. And it was obvious right away that she was suffering from amnesia. She didn't know who she was. And we've sort of kept up with that story. They call her Jane Doe now. She has no identity uh, yet. They sent her pictures around and <clears throat> some folks who claimed to be her folks whose daughter was missing came and identified her but she didn't know who she was. It was a sad story and still is because you see until she finds out who she is she won't know where she's going. She won't know what she has. and She won't have any purpose. And I was thinking about it this week. Suppose somebody had come to her and said, Jane, I know who you are. You see, I was in a discotheque a while back and you were the dancer. and uh, would show her the picture and she would say well if that's who I am that's where I'll go that's how I'll act I don't remember that I knew how to dance but I'll learn how and I, I don't remember that I love that kind of friends but if that's so I'll go there and find those kind of friends and in a year or so or more Jane Doe would be Jane Doe, the discotheque dancer. But had somebody come to her and said, Jane, I know you. We were in church together. In fact, I was standing next to you when one night the preacher preached and the story was so beautiful. And I looked over and tears were coursing down your cheeks and you went forward and that night you came to know Christ and and you became a Sunday school teacher and we've drifted apart but Jane I know who you are in all probability she would say well I, I really don't remember but if that's who I am that's where I'll go and I don't remember those kind of friends but I'll, I'll develop that kind of friend and as I thought about Jane Doe I thought of numberless people in our churches who really don't know who they are but are acting like who they think they are and we're seeing the result of it in the massive fallout in the line of duty in spiritual warfare for you see you can't be a proper soldier till you know your identity and, and you can't report in for your riches if you don't know your name if you don't know who you are and uh, to tell you the truth, I, I just really want to share tonight something of, of a recent number of happenings in my own life. It's real tough to be in a position where folks think you, you're always ministering and you're always strong and, you, and uh, you can find very few people to be honest with, you know. Uh, sometimes you feel like being honest with the Lord, like the old Quaker who said, Lord, 
I'm not amazed that you have as few friends as you do. <laughs> From the way you treat the ones you've got. And you don't find very many folks that will understand that kind of talk, but this has been a very difficult year. In fact, the last several have been very difficult years. In fact, I think they're getting more difficult. <laughs> and uh, in the midst of it, <clears throat> I found a recurrence of the problem of esteem. Now, I've discovered there are not enough books you can write, and not enough friends you can win, and not enough statistics you can generate to feed the mill of the desire for approval apart from Jesus Christ. You can pin your flop ears to your head and straighten out your nose and straighten your crossed eyes and try to do away with the scar tissue and lose some of the middle so you can look better to yourself as you float in front of a mirror, but there's not enough you can do. to have a proper identity. So about a year ago, at an all-time low, I wouldn't have dared tell you then, you wouldn't have read another book I'd ever write. <laughs> I was ready to chuck in the towel. If I could have found the towel, that's all I needed. And I discovered something. God really loved Jack Taylor. He really, really did. Now, I sort of knew that, but I thought it was dumb. And in the process of the next months, I began to see from God's point of view. And I, I just want to share with you tonight, and I, I'm not at all good with visuals, but Jesse, if you'll float that thing into about where it works on that screen, I'll, I, I generally do this with a chalkboard because I don't have enough faith to believe that thing's operating with my back turned. And... Uh, <laughs> um, Paul evidently found it inherent in establishing an identity for the folks at Ephesus. Uh, thought it wise to remind them of what they had been. And uh, he began in chapter 2 by saying, And you, who were dead in trespasses and sin." in which in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons and the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation, our manner of life, in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. And uh, so much of the time, we who've been born again feel at home with that kind of description. That's, that's what I've 
been trying to describe to you. You're missing the mark when you pay me a compliment. This is what I really am. Verse 11, Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past uh, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called circumcision, uh, uncircumcision, by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, that's who you were. And uh, I want us just to have a look at uh, perhaps how we got that way. And somehow, I believe commensurate with the knowledge of what we have been and something of the knowledge of what has happened when we realized what we have been because of what He did for us we can find a new level of gladness in what we have become because we are no longer what we have been. Now, it all... I never can. It all started at a point of time, at least for us as human beings, when our forefather was created, Adam. And uh, the purpose of Adam was made very clear. He was to uh, obey the Lord, eat of the right tree, and live as a continuing reflection of all that God was like. I love what Ian Thomas said. The, the truth about man is that man was made to be the truth about God. The terrible thing about sin is that sin is a lie about God. It may have its, uh, it may have its lateral effects, it may have its conglomerate social and cultural effects, but the real tragedy of sin is that sin is a lie about God. And if you were unkind today, you lied about God. And if you somehow belied the security that belongs to you in Christ and, and engaged in anxiety, you lied about the nature of God. And so the truth about man is that man was made to be the truth about God. Now, let me, let me just draw a couple of lines here. Is that still on the... And, and let's just label this eternal life. Eternal life. And of course it was in the mind of God that man uh, would be an eternal companion of fellowship. And so he said of him what he said of neither of light, nor the division of the firmaments, nor the dry land, nor the sea, nor the herbs and the trees, nor the sun, the moon, and the stars, nor the animals that swam in the, uh, in the ocean or the animals that flew above the ocean or land or all the land animals. He said something of, of man that he said nothing of those. He said, we're going to make him in our image after our likeness and we're going to give him dominion over all of this, over all of this. And so he was saying, we want him to be a reflection of all that the Godhead is about, both externally and internally, and we want him to reign over all of this that has been made. And I'm convinced that he was talking about all of creation, not just the earth, but to be in dominion over everything, to be a part of the eternal plan. Now, eternal life is not just lastingness. I'm afraid that's the reason a lot of folks are not interested in getting saved. 
because we at least uh, intimate to them that uh, if they really trust the Lord, they'll live forever, and nobody wants to live like they are now living forever. I remember one night laying on my bed as a child, having heard that if I'd trust the Lord, I'd live forever, and it just about worried me to death. (laughs) Who would want to live forever? But you see, eternal life is the life of God that has no beginning and no end. Now, we're going to leave that there and come back in a little bit, maybe wind up there. That'll be a good place to to stop because when I realized this, it, it was a new dimension. Well, we all know that Adam failed. He sinned. He was born wrong and became in a sense, a child of the devil, became another species other than what God had created him to be. Created to be an extension of God's presence and an expression of God's person and an exhibit of God's power. He now became an extension of evil and uh, with a propensity to do wrong. And the thoughts and intents of man's heart down through the years has been toward wickedness, and you and I today in our world, our world could teach Sodom and Gomorrah something about wickedness. Adam sinned and fell. We call that the fall, and properly so, because in that fall, man seemed to forfeit the capacities he had to show forth God. He seemed to throw down to the devil all of the authority that belonged to him, and the devil usurped that authority and became the god of this world. And the world has been a laboratory in which his inventions and innovations have caused continuing nightmares of heartbreak and heartache and regret and disappointment and sin and war between the nations and bloodshed and divorce and hate and jealousy and all that goes with it. And so the whole human family from that time until this, has been going down, down toward hell. Not made for the human family, but enlarged herself to contain the rebellious human family. And so Adam and all that followed him, kin to him. And by the way, if you want to look at family trees and compare family trees, you can never, you can never Look at somebody. I thought it was on, fellas. Excuse me. I flicked it half the way and uh, didn't go the other half, just about like most Christians do. (laughs) Saved from sin, but not saved by his life. So I saw them running around in panic and making signs, and I looked at it and a light was on which meant that it was on test. I understand now, and thank you. Thank you for the sign. I do read English. <clears throat> you were as bad as I was. And I was as bad as you were. And not any of us could look at each other and strike our tongues against the roof of our mouth and say, Oh, you were bad. I'll acknowledge you were bad. No, no. Not any worse than 
I was. And so we came along and, and we got born. By the time it happened, it was too late to back out, and there we were. <laughs> no sooner had we breathed than we were in Adam. We were in Adam. We were born into Adam's family. We were sinners by nature before we were sinners by choice. That's not really very difficult to prove if you've got a baby around the house that's growing up. His Adamic nature will display itself without any lessons from kindergarten or, or pre-kindergarten. He learns to be selfish. He has to acquire other habits, but he learns to be selfish by himself. He's sort of innately that way. He learns to pull a toy out of another child's hand. He learns to strike another child just out of things that appear to be innately in him. And uh, one day, with eyes wide open, you and I sinned. Now, it is well to remember that while you did indeed become a sinner by sinning, that isn't all the story. You see, you were a sinner before you sinned. A sinner by nature that dictated the fact that one day, given the right opportunity under right circumstances, you would indeed choose to be by activity what you already were by nature. And every one of you did that. Well, now maybe there's somebody who didn't. I always just take a minute to say, how many of you above the age of 10 have gotten this far without having a choice and, a, and an opportunity to do so uh, didn't sin? I don't know what I'd have done if somebody raised their hands. I, I think I would have uh, just said, that, boy, uh, you can finish. I'd like to sit at your feet, I think. But you were in Adam. Now, the Bible doesn't spare any descriptives in, in telling us what we were, does it? We've already seen some of them. Let's, let's just think of some of them. Uh, he was, we were dead. Now, that doesn't mean not existing. That meant that something, some quality that caused life at the scale the Bible labels life, we didn't have. It was gone from us. For life, you see, is that in us which resists the powers that bring to death. And so there is nothing in the unregenerate man that can finally resist death. He's dying. And so he's dead. He's dead to sensitivity to God. And uh, the Bible makes clear that without Jesus Christ, we are dead. It also says that we walked according to the course of this world. Regardless of our upbringing, the world system found its way into our behavior, and we began to behave like the world system, not just because of the environment, but because we were by nature the children of wrath. And we walked according to the course of this world because the prince of the power of the air was active in in corresponding the evils of our environment with the evils inside us, and we lived according to our environment. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And thus, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. All of the promises that are, that are accorded to God's children are not ours. 
all of the covenant promises we're shut out of. We're separated from all the promises of the covenants. And we are without hope and without God in the world. And we can go on and talk about condemnation. This person is condemned. Condemned. He that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is already condemned because he hath not believed in the name of the Son of God. Not only that, he's enslaved. He belongs to another. His lusts are not his to decide. He rather dances like a puppet at the end of strings controlled by somebody else. He is not his own person. And the brilliant thing about the devil's work is that he can make one do that and come out making him feel that he's his own person. And folks, I want you to know that at one time, every one of us was here. We needed more than an improvement. We needed two things precisely. We needed one to be forgiven of the mountain of sins which we had committed. For you see, with all the prayers we'd learned to pray as children, not one of those prayers would mean that we were ever alleviated from any sin we had ever committed from the time we became conscious of being sinners until the time we were saved and a mountain of unforgiven sin had piled up and we needed to be forgiven and there's no way in the world to depreciate, as David said, the, the great supreme matter of being forgiven. My sin... Oh, the glorious thought, my sin, not in part but in whole, was nailed to the cross. And because of that, I'm forgiven. But I needed another thing. You see, my behavior was such that had not more happened than forgiveness. I would have turned right around and have been productive of the same thing that brought me into condemnation. Be of sin the double cure, saved from wrath and make me pure. And I was bad, and you were bad, and there's no way to say how bad we were, for we were as bad as bad could be in Adam. Let me ask you a question. Were you there? Can you remember when you were there? You remember the twisted thoughts, you remember the distorted ideas, you remember the lies you listened to and believed uh, as the devil told you what would please you and what would get you ahead and what would put you in good stead and, and all the things, if you did these, you'd come out on the other end in good shape and he lied every time. Do you remember? Do you remember as you went to sleep dreaming of the possibility that one day you didn't have to live with a filthy conscience? Do you remember that, that you'd like just once to behave properly in a crisis but you seem not to have the power to do so. Do you remember all of that? And add to that the knowledge that the Bible says you were dead, you were enslaved, you walked according to this world, you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You were alienated from the covenant of, uh, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, separated from, from all the promises of God and without God and without Hope in this world. Now, the explanation for the fact that in every tribe, regardless of its remoteness, there is something in fallen humanity of, the, of what's left of an image of God so that all of us have known what it is to reach up and to try to compensate for what we knew ourselves to be. And there's not a heathen tribe anywhere, but that has some system of compensation, some system of retribution, and some system of recognized approval and righteousness. But all of them failed to reach the life 
that God intended. All of them alike, human philosophies within the framework of, of intellectually advanced nations are in the remoteness of the backside of Africa, the heathen tribe that has never seen the light of civilization. And all fall short. The rationalists said that if we could just show folks what's wrong and how wrong ultimately destroys them, we could build a race of moral people. And so we took the man who stole from the boxcar and gave him an education, and he stole the railroad. And the rationalist failed. But God in Christ came down not just to show us what man really was, but to die the death that always results from sin so that we might have the life. And there you were in Adam. And one day the Spirit of God began to move on you, wooed your heart, and warmed your soul, and won your mind. And you, seeing what you were, a guilty sinner condemned before the bar of divine justice. And in one second, oh, it may have taken you five to get to the front. It may have taken you a year for God to break you to all the realizations you needed. It may have been a process over months or years. But the moment in which this happened, the second in which it happened, it happened completely and totally and suddenly and you didn't get saved by degrees. You didn't get better and better and better. You were suddenly transformed. And the Bible has several words for it. One of them is born again. And that's freighted with, uh, with connotations, with symbolisms. Born again, no past. Born again, all future. Born again, pure as a freshly born baby. Uh, regeneration. Redemption sanctification, justification. It takes more than a few words to, uh, to celebrate what has occurred in us and all of them freighted with significance in discovering since that happened to us, that changed our identity. And I'll tell you another thing it changed. It changed your past. And I'll show you in just a minute what happened. The devil never again, never again can buffalo you, never again can back you out of prayer. When you have the eye-opening realization that what you were, that what you were, when what happened to you in salvation happened to you, what you were, you're not anymore, that's a part of it, but you in the eyes of God have never been. Now, that'll get you. I don't understand it either. But I can tell you many a time I've been at prayer and the devil has knocked me out of that prayer because he reminded me of what I used to be. How shallow were my motives, how, how filled with duplicity were my, uh, were my doings, and uh, then with a little P.S. on it, almost uh, a whisper, he would say, you're not over it yet. It's still a jar. And so, the Spirit of God moved and all of a sudden, 
something happened to you in Adam. You got placed into Christ. In Christ. A new environment. A new home. And another thing. He was put into you. And Jesus spoke that mystery that they didn't understand until that day later. And he said, At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And they didn't understand because they had no point of reference. But when the Holy Spirit came, and they became the first new creations on earth, they knew that he was in them, and they were in him. Life in life, zoe in bios. The life of God in the life of a human being. And you became born again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. A new species. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And all of a sudden we who were dead have become alive. And we who were enslaved have become liberated. And we who were condemned have become exonerated, justified if you please, righteousized, a better word. We were not only declared without guilt, we were made righteous with the righteousness of Christ. We were no longer aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were members of the family of God. We were no longer strangers from the covenant promises but heirs of all the promises of God. We were no longer without hope and without God in the world. We had a certain expectation that was so confident it needed no physical or visible grounds on which to rest. So that Paul said of the, uh, to the Ephesians, I pray that God will open your eyes and show you the hope of your calling, the certain expectation that what God has started in you, he's going to ultimately perform because his work was total. And uh, that's where you are. And because that's where you are, that's who you are. And the last verse in that chapter says, And God hath made him to be sin who knew no sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. When I was here, I was made totally sinful with Adam's sin and my choice. I was in total correspondence with my environment because that which was in my environment was a conglomerate result of that which was in me because we were members of Adam's race. And I was totally in Adam, totally sinful. We call it depraved. Depraved means two things. One, humanity 
is touched and tainted in every component part by the degenerating effects of sin. And two, as total as his degeneration is his helplessness to do anything about it. That's how bad it was. You were totally sinful and totally helpless to do anything about it. That's about as bad as you can get. And all of a sudden, God, in his mercy, gave you the gift of faith and you responded and you were redeemed, regenerated, born again, placed into union with Jesus Christ, he in you and you in him, a new creation. And all of a sudden, all of these things are not true of you anymore. I'm afraid I won't tell it at the end. I'll go ahead and tell you now. Some of you lived a good many years before Christ came into your life. And there's the haunting specter of what you were. The terrible things you did. Oh, I have enough at ten. I can imagine if I'd have had a chance to live twenty more years without Christ, I would have left no stone unturned in the moral realm. I can imagine. But you know what? When I got placed into Jesus, I got placed into eternal life. And that'd be good enough if eternal life just had no end. But eternal life doesn't have a beginning. There was a time historically, as man sees it, when I wasn't in him. But when I got in him, from the point of view of God, I'd always been there. I had eternal life. I can't understand that. That really doesn't make sense to my sense. But I can tell you it works on the devil. <laughs> Evidently he has more sense in one realm than I do because it makes sense to him. Because you see, the other day, as he's often wont to do, he came trying to sell that ware again. I said, wait a minute. I've just found out something. The fellow you're talking about never was. <laughs> never was. No, never was. Because you see, God said, and you see, truth is the assessment of things from God's point of view. That's what truth is. And the truth is, God forgot it all. And if God forgot it all, it doesn't exist. Now, devil, you want to look up my family tree? I just got one. I've been in Jesus' eternity. And it worked on him. Let me say it again. There was a time historically from man's point of view when I wasn't in him. I was in Adam. But when I responded to the provident grace of God and got in him by a work of grace, I'd always been there. I could sort of nestle comfortably because it seemed like that's where I belonged. It seemed like the angels said, Phew, we've been waiting for you to get in. Belong here. It's comfortable here. These are the kind of clothes you wear and these are the kind you cast away. So, a few months ago, in one of those times that seemed to be the past 
repeated. Instead of give in to pity and feel sorry for myself, I had a whole Monday off in a meeting. And I said, Lord, I think today I'd like to know what you think of me. Now, I'd prayed the prayer before. You know how we pray it. Lord, show me myself. And boy, you get ready. You get ready for a gargantuan, monster, misshapen, distorted with four eyes, some beast. And I said, Lord, show me myself. And I began to read the book. And from the standpoint of not what I'd felt or been taught or what I'd heard myself say or the devil say or tradition, I said, God, I really want to know from your word. And I sat down at a typewriter and I opened the Bible. And believing that truth is God's assessment of things as they are, I began to read through the New Testament. Jack, you are the salt of the earth. You can heal, be antiseptic, flavor life for others. You are the light of the world. the same glory Jesus had, you have. You're as much in the favor of God as Jesus was in the favor of God. He was made totally sinful with your sin that you might be made totally righteous with His righteousness. You're a new creation created in Christ Jesus under good works. Old things are gone. New things have come. And that's not all of it. He has reconciled all things to Himself and given to you the ministry that He had of reconciliation. And He's made you an ambassador in full standing with the home country. Your salary isn't paid by this country. It's paid by your home country. You have any difficulty, just plead diplomatic immunity. And when the going gets past tough, we'll call the ambassadors home. You're a part of the inheritance of which God is proud to have. There is a power toward you that has raised you to sit with Him in heavenly places in Christ above every principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named. And you're seated in Him in that heavenly place now. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Let's pray together.